Well, uh, this evening we're going to be thinking about church structure. And um, uh, there are so many passages that uh, direct our thoughts to that. It, um, and if when we read our, our statement in just a moment, um, we're going to see that uh, there are a number of different subjects that come up in the uh, uh, subject um, as we're addressing it. We need to tonight, though, go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with our reading um, of Scripture, and then um, we will together, um, in just a moment, I trust, read the statement, the article from our statement of faith. But before we do so, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it orders our faith and our practice. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to teach us and train us and that you would help us in all that we do to do it for you, for your glory. Um, we pray that you would, as we continue to learn um, about what we believe and why, um, that we would be able to um, uh, go to a passage of Scripture, open it, and show people this is what we believe and this is why. It's here in your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would equip us in this way and that um, uh, this evening we would um, uh, be thinking specifically, how can we take this and share it with others? There may even be uh, members of the church that they've read the statement of faith, though they have communicated agreement with it, may not have the confidence to explain, though they agree, to explain why they agree and where this comes from. Help us to have that confidence. And as we have that confidence, to um, more and more take hope, uh, resting in these, um, the authority and sufficiency of Scripture uh, as the ultimate rule of faith and practice for uh, uh, Christ followers. Help us in this, we pray. Amen. So if we go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read... Really, from verse 1, it's a longer passage than we might normally read, but I, I believe that every part of it relates to what we're going to see in just a moment. The text reads, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, may the, the Lord bless the, the reading of his word. We're going to read now our, um, our statement. <clears throat> hmm, that is actually not the correct statement for this evening. Uh, so in, in that case, uh, I am going to read it. And um, I, I trust that you will, um, you will listen to, to what I have to say. Let's, um, let's read. I'll recap off of what we had last week, um, and then we'll flow into what we're doing this week, okay? We believe that a visible local church is a community of baptized believers who have covenanted together in the fellowship of the gospel and under the discipline of God's word. We believe in the necessity of baptism by immersion into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on a profession of repentance and faith in order to enter into church membership. The Lord's Supper is a privilege of local church membership and is administered under the discipline and pastoral care of the local church. So last week we were talking about the life of the church, church um, uh, identity. Tonight we're talking about church structure. This is what we believe, that the local church is under the authority of Christ alone. A local church is administered by the officers, pastors, elders, and deacons of that church. Under the congregational principle of church order, Church members gather to seek the Lord's mind on matters relating to church life and ministry. Local churches express the unity of the body of Christ with other churches by mutual love, care, and encouragement. True fellowship between churches exists only where they are faithful to the gospel. Okay, so there's a number of things that are going uh, on in that passage, and I trust you can see there are any number of different passages. It would have been a very easy thing for us to have multiple texts, probably easier, in fact, to say, here's a text for this, here's a text for that. But I think that we can see some, some essence of all of this in Ephesians chapter 4 in the verses that we just read. We believe that the local church is under the authority of Christ alone. Let's start there. We're talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the one Lord under whom is administered and given the one faith and the one baptism into which we have been called. We have one spiritual head. The text that we just read refers to us as being um, the body of Christ and as we are Growing as we're developing, we're measuring to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as we are growing up, he says, we're growing up into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, 
with which it is equipped when working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we do not believe in the lordship of the church officers. We do not believe that the pastor is the head of the church. We do not believe that the pastors slash elders, for that is actually how it is written in the statement, um, uh, are uh, together the head of the church. This is not my church. This is Christ's church. And, and, and that means that what we do and how we operate is not about pleasing anyone, any person, any office. This is about worshiping Jesus Christ. It, it, it's deeply distressing to me how um, congregations where the leadership is genuinely abusive, oppressive, ungodly, corporate even in its nature, more of a, a CEO understanding of Christian leadership than, than what the Scriptures give to us, will be swelling with people who see that person as the head of their church. And the, the way they'll speak very affectionately and very personally about the pastor is a wonderful thing, but when you... you you begin to scratch beneath the surface. You, you begin to feel that these, these people have elevated their pastor to a level of supremacy. And not, just, not even um, superiority. Superiority is something that the pastor then assumes on the basis of that level of supremacy that the church has invested in them. Are we on the same page? Do we, do we know what we're... This is how poisonous leadership structures develop in the church where either because the church officers have assumed it or because the, uh, the church has granted it or both, someone other than Jesus Christ is seen as the head of the church. Christ alone is head of the church. We do not believe that the monarch is the head of the church. That's a very important thing to say. In fact, in this country, there was a time in which that would have gotten you put in prison. That is actually a fundamental part, a foundational part of Baptist church history. We said with Scripture, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And just saying that, never mind saying the negative thing that, that is implicit in that. The king is not the head of the church or the queen or whatever the case may be at any given moment. Um, was considered treasonous. It undermined the state church, undermined the established church because the established church was set up by the king because he didn't like being told that his divorce was quite unbiblical, and that his affair with the queen-to-be was also ungodly. It's actually one area where we might find agreement with uh, the Roman Catholic Church. They, they weren't wrong in their assessment of the character of King Henry VIII. But because he didn't like church discipline, he didn't want to submit to the disciplinary processes of 
I know, flawed as it may be, the Roman Catholic Church, he decided he was going to start a new church. Now, I might be paraphrasing history slightly, but that, that is quite a fair representation of what happened. And thus, to this day, the monarch is considered defender of the faith, head of the church. We don't believe in that. Honestly, I don't really even think people who say they believe in that believe in that. I think even less so now, if I'm honest. It's one thing when it's you know, Queen Elizabeth, and if you like Queen Elizabeth, and she's been you know, the queen for decades and so forth, and you get to that point of finding a person endearing and so forth, and you know, she said things that were Christian and distinctively Christian and very you know, sweet elderly Christian lady type things, but maybe now, I'm detecting less enthusiasm for the upcoming coronation probably than uh, I expected even, which is interesting. <laughs> Expectations were already fairly low. Do we believe that King Charles III is the head of the church? No. Incidentally, actually, when I was talking about Baptist history in the 1600s when it was illegal, guess the, the name of the, 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 the king was actually King Charles I. And uh, he actually took headship of a bunch of things he shouldn't have, and that's how you end up with the, the um, uh, English Civil Wars, and you end up with the Republic years, and you end up with that time where you didn't have a king, you had a protectorate, and then... You have the restoration of the monarchy and things got even worse for people who believed that Jesus alone is the head of the church. What was that king's name? King Charles II. Very unfortunate. And we don't, I'm not uh, saying anything about our monarch. We will pray for him. We will ask that the Lord would be merciful and gracious to save him. We want to have people in places of authority and power in this nation who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also know what we're working with. We know what we're working against. And we know the framework within which we are working is one that has told lies to the monarchs of this nation as to who they are, things that they didn't really have a say in, they inherited, and that has told lies to the people. Thus, there are many who still do believe that by being born into this country and not having any other religious affiliation and being under the, the king or the queen or whoever and being baptized into the Church of England, that, that means that they are Christian by identity when they aren't. I hope we understand what a beautifully subversive and sound thing it is to say we believe that the local church is under the authority of Christ alone. We might also say, if anyone was minded to misrepresent what, uh, where I was going with the Roman Catholic Church a few moments ago, that we are not under the authority of a pope or a patriarch or even uh, an archbishop. We are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Any authority that the pastors of the church, the elders of the church, or with them in serving roles, the deacons of the church, exercise is exercised as given by Jesus in His Word. 
That's why when we teach and when we preach, we teach and we preach the Scriptures. I have no authority to stand up here and spout my own ideas. There are a number of things that I do not know. There are a number of areas that I do not understand. There are plenty of things that are outside my realm of expertise. I am not omnicompetent. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't speak my personal preferences into this room onto you and coerce you into that. that just, that's not my place. There are things that are outside the realm of my authority. But nothing is outside the realm of God's authority. And God's Word brought to bear on everyday life in the here and now is communicated according to His will through officers of the church. Which leads us to the next thing. The local church is under the authority of Christ alone. So we look at the Lordship of Christ. That's where everything starts. But we have to move on to the local church, the life of the local church. And as we look at the life of the local church, it is administered by the officers. Notice the language is one of administration. Yes, we are told um, things like uh, being leaders, being overseers, being elders, so on and so forth. But administrators do what they do, administrators do what they do under authority. Particularly the kind of administrator that the elders are. We are under the authority of Jesus to administrate the life of the church in various ways. Elders are not deacons and deacons are not elders. We do believe that there is um, an interchangeability scripturally with the word pastor, which is actually very rarely used in Scripture, but the concept is, is very present. It's one of shepherding, one of, 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 of oversight in a particular kind of caring way for the people of God. And we would say that the um, scriptural language of an overseer or an elder merges with that. So pastors are elders. Elders are pastors. Their ministry is pastoral. In our English language, cultural distinctions and all of that, we have sometimes taken to traditionally speaking of the pastor or the pastors as those who are, um, are uh, staff positions, as it were, paid positions within the local church, that their, the entirety of their vocation is given to the leadership of the church, and elders as those who are not. That's not an uncommon practice. And it might actually help provide some perspective and some order administratively to, you know, who do you go to, where do you go, uh, first port of call, who has um, uh, the responsibility of having more on their plate, as it were. Does that make sense? It's a very practical thing. But the distinction is actually not one that we see um, very strongly made in Scripture, other than there is a passage that talks about the elders who rule well, laboring in the preaching and teaching of the Word. And so we might say that there are those elders who their main task is the ministry of the Word and prayer and the work of discipleship day in and day out, 
And there are other elders who may be tasked with that because they have the ability to teach, but may do less of that than someone else. I hope we're making sense with that. Let's see something of that, not the full picture, in the text before us. In the same way that the text before us talks about uh, Jesus Christ as the head of the church from which the whole body is nourished, we also see that the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, has given to the church various people for various roles in the life of the, the body. So verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and you see it there, the shepherds and teachers. And um, you might have a footnote. I, I do. Mine says, or the shepherd teachers. So that it's merged. The pastoral office is one of shepherdly teaching. And teaching shepherdly, if that's a word. We believe that the Word of God applies to all of life that it has implications for who you are and for what you do. And our role is to come alongside you to encourage, to instruct, to rebuke, to reprove, to exhort. We do that in uh, any number of ways. So someone might say uh, at times, what do you do, Ryan? Uh, and I hope that people would be able to answer that question uh, very, very well. That there's never any question as to whether I am being a, um, a steward of the time that God has given me uh, productively. But if someone asks, what does Ryan do? Um, beyond preaching on a, on a Sunday. So you'll see, I preach Sunday morning, I preach Sunday evening. I also spend the time between, often, in conversation with people. We have counseling, uh, we have meetings, we have um, uh, organizational interactions. Today, I didn't actually uh, uh, leave this room, uh, but for a few moments, um, uh, didn't eat lunch because I was engaging people in important conversations as an overseer, as, um, uh, as an elder in the church. Now, that's not every week. But when it happens, I may actually uh, have lunch with other people, have breakfast with people on a Sunday morning, actually before we even get started. You know, th these are things that, that are input. That's one day, Tuesday, 8.30, first meeting of the day. And sometimes Tuesday will go to the end. We have small groups. If it's one of those days, a particularly long day, I might not be home until 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Now, this is not me going on. I could tell you every day. Um, if you wanted me to, I, I could give a full account of my time and activities. But I, I, I engage myself in coming alongside people. It could be at an individual level. It could be at a small group level. It could be within the church. It could be in the community. It could be among the churches. It could be um, with a view to encouraging church planting and revitalization and evangelism. It could be simply with encouraging a brother or sister who is struggling in some way or other. 
could be um, as it is with a few at the moment, pre-engagement counseling, pre-marriage counseling. It could be post-marriage counseling. Uh, the one is normally not a crisis. It's um, encouraging and fun. The other normally is a crisis and um, less encouraging and less fun. Uh, but we, we, in it all, we are embracing not, not just a task. I want you to understand this. Shepherd, shepherding is not just a, it's not a job. Thank you, sister. It's a mission. And with it, it's an identity. Shepherding is the task. Shepherd is the identity. It's actually something that, it's, it's not just what you do, it, it's who you are. And that's not the case all across the board with every occupation or every job. Um, that does bring with it certain demands on, on, on time and energy, and it does require um, uh, better um, boundaries at times than, I'll be honest, perhaps, uh, than um, I keep. Pastors are not known always uh, for good boundaries. Some have too many and some have too few. But spare a thought for either of those and the reasons why. And know that God has, in His providence, appointed people, given people even, to the church for the work of ministry. But it's not just for the work of ministry. Do, do you see what they're doing? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this goes back to what we said earlier. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is Lord, not the pastor. And if that is the case, that means that we are all in this together with different roles and different responsibilities. And the shepherding task, alongside the other tasks that he mentions, including that of the evangelist, interestingly, is not simply to do the work of ministry, but it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do we understand that? Do we understand that ministry, it's not, oh, that's what he does. Think about the, the, the language that we sometimes use that might be unhelpful. Someone is called to the ministry. And the ministry is seen as synonymous with not even these other things that he mentioned, but the pastorate. And the pastorate does the ministry. And we, people fall into these mentalities of that, that's his job. For you to say, if that's, your, that's, that's you. You would say that. You're, you're the pastor. That's your job. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do all of the work of ministry myself. I do think that... I do think... Most pastors believe that. I might be wrong, but I think that most pastors believe that. But they struggle with that because stuff needs to be done. They're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. They see what needs to be done. They say it needs to be done. No one does it, so they start doing it because it has to be done. Someone has to do it. They start doing it, and the other people see the pastor doing it, and they're like, oh, I'm, not going, I'm not going to get involved in that. Hey, that's his job. That's his job. And it does become a, um, 
a consumer experience, doesn't it? Where people come and they are fed. And that is a role of the pastor, of the shepherd, to feed the sheep. But what do the sheep do with that? And have we remembered that the shepherd is also a sheep in this analogy? The analogy breaks down at some level. That, that who feeds the shepherd? Who helps the shepherd? How can we work together to, as the scripture says, build one another up in love? And that is ultimately where the pastoral office leads. As we look at this, a local church is administered by the officers, pastors, elders. I've excluded deacons. I shouldn't do that. Deacons perform vital roles of service in the life of the church. That's up there now. Deacons. It means servant. And as we, as we have, you know, we, we had a whole series just about deacons. What are deacons? Who are deacons? You can find it online if you weren't around for that. Um, who are they? What do they do? Why are they? If you think that the deacons are not pulling their weight, if they're not serving in some way, you have a responsibility as a congregation, which we'll see in a moment, to address that. Okay? But deacons serve. The problem is, if we fall into the mindset of, okay, it's the pastor and the deacons. Someone commented on uh, the life of our, our own church at one time, and it wasn't entirely true because I, I see what people do behind the scenes, things that are unknown and maybe, I hope not, but unappreciated at times. And uh, their perspective was there was very much uh, expectation on the pastor, um, maybe not an expectation, but the function was the pastor was doing many things, most things perhaps. Again, not entirely fair, but an outsider's perspective is useful. That was their perspective. Sometimes I wonder if they might have a perspective now that it's the pastor and the deacons or the pastors and the deacons or whatever the case may be. Oftentimes that is the case. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a ministry. I was in a conversation recently. I don't, I don't think people believe that. They say they believe that they're priests. They say they believe when they say, do you believe that you have a ministry? Yes. What is it? I don't know. That explains a lot. Sometimes maybe we just have to spell it out. What are things, we can start just at a very basic level. What are things that you do in your life? Your, your, your career, perhaps. Are there ways that that is transferable to serving the Lord and His church? Organizational things, administrative things, um, um, sorting things, um, working with children, working with uh, young people, working with adults, teaching, communicating information, um, training people, any number of things. Imagine if you were to transfer your skills and it could be actually personally putting those skills into practice in the life of the church or running workshops or things in which people are, are helped. Do you see what I'm saying? There's so many things that you can do to bless. So um, our, our, our sister um, uh, Priscilla is 
putting on some um, support group stuff for single moms and stepmoms. Phenomenal initiative. I've circulated that on um, some of the community WhatsApp groups and on uh, the Nextdoor app so that people very locally can see that and um, hopefully get involved. I actually had someone reach out who um, is not minded to say positive things about the church, and, and they thought it was a fantastic initiative. Uh, that is an initiative by a sister doing what she was doing before she ever even came here. But she will be using our space somewhere to support these ladies who need support and encouragement from someone who's walked that path and who has wisdom and experience and can do that and, and, and desires to do that, seems to enjoy doing that. So think, think about things in that, in that way. Uh, as I was talking, she said, someone even told me that this could you know, maybe develop into a ministry, uh, but that's down the road. And I said, wait a second, it already is a ministry. You are ministering to people who have a particular need with a skill set and an interest and a desire that God has given you in a space that's set aside for Christian ministry. How is that not a ministry? In so many ways, people can do that. It's our sister doing that. It's our sister that started a, you know, um, they wanted to reach the Portuguese-speaking Brazilian community. How do, we, how do we do that? What are some ideas? They came to me, asked, what are some things that we can do? And I said, well, I've, tell me how you know these people. There's some mums WhatsApp groups. Well, we can start with that. Why don't you have a Portuguese language parents and toddlers group and keep the gospel center um, uh, of that group? And you can be open about that to them and tell them, this is run by um, and in a, a members of a local church. Great, that's wonderful. Start where you are. Work with what you have. Do what you can for the glory of God. There is no, no, there's nothing standing in anyone's way who is following Jesus and committed to walking in good fellowship with the local church. Pastors, elders, and deacons facilitate that. Pastors exercise accountability and oversight. Deacons provide service-oriented assistance with those things. We are here to help and to facilitate your ministry and your service as the people of God. And we do all of this together. So, the, as it says, under the congregational principle of church order, which is to say, I'm not telling you what to do so much as you are telling me what to do, actually. And we're telling each other how, what to do and how to do it as we submit to the Lordship of Christ. But un under the congregational principle of church order, church members gather to seek the Lord's mind on matters relating to church life and ministry. We do that week in and week out at a principle level as we submit to the Word of God and its teaching and its preaching. We do that at a more local level, um, hyper-local level as we gather for small groups. We do that every week um, as we gather to pray for one another. We're seeking do we, do we understand that? We are seeking the Lord's mind. The Lord's counsel on matters relating to church life and ministry. But we have seasonally church meetings, which are just for the members of the church. Sometimes they're very pleasant. Sometimes 
as our uh, most recent church meeting. They're more painful. But what are we doing? Every step of the way, we're saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's revealed His truth to us in His Word. That is communicated through faithful church officers. We will abide by it. We will be structured by it. What would God have us to do in this situation? What, what does our authority, our head, want of us? He's told it to us. How can we shape our life as Christians around that? And not just our life as Christians, but our life as a church. How can we be a vital body in this dark place? As we um, look at in, in the text in front of us, the saints are equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So belief and behavior are corrected as we submit to the Lordship of Christ, administered through the preaching and teaching of the Word through faithful shepherds, pastors, elders, deacons. And as we get together and seek the counsel of the Lord, we grow up. We, we develop. We hold each other accountable. That's why in our, our, our church meetings we, we, we have reports. Why do we give you reports? Because you need to exercise oversight of the life of the church. All of us need that. Who oversees the overseer? That's what it boils down to. The congregational order of church government is not saying that the pastors rule over the church. But rather... The pastors equip the church and serve the church so that as you are equipped, you order and manage things well in your life as a church. So the decisions that you make are shaped by what you are equipped with. As seed is sown into your life through the word, that bears a harvest. And that harvest is seen in different ways, not least wise decision making. Thus, we can have difficult conversations. Mercifully, we haven't had many, really. There are some conversations, though, would you believe it, that we have and we just, we, we say amen. We pray. We, we agree. And there's a great spirit of unity and purpose. And it's the type of things that many would fall, fall apart over. I don't understand the dynamics in uh, those situations particularly. But what I can say is I give God praise and thanks that as we gather, submitting to the word of the Lord, we know He is Lord. We know that that shapes the decisions that we make. And we're committed to the mission of God. There are many churches that don't um, plant churches largely because as the congregations get together, they're not seeking the mind of the Lord. They're seeking their own comfort zone. I mean, churches that don't uh, contribute to the needs of the saints in the, um, uh, in, in the local church or more widely. 
because, again, they're not seeking the mind of the Lord and what He would have them do, but what they feel they want to do or can do instead of trusting in the one who is able to provide even through weakness. There are um, uh, many situations where uh, people are held back because they are not seeking the mind of the Lord. And let us not hear that judgmentally, self-righteously, as in, oh, wow, we're better. No, no, no. We must keep going back. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the head of the church. No one and nothing else. No, no body, no entity. He is head of the church. He's appointed leaders, and those leaders, as they lead the church, have equipped the church to make wise decisions. Does that make sense? Are we seeing that in, 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 in the scriptures that we're, we're growing up? We're all maturing. We're all developing. We're all stable and secure. And we're speaking the truth in love. Furthermore, local churches express the unity of the body of Christ with other churches by mutual love, care, and encouragement. True fellowship between churches exists only where they are faithful to the gospel. So we've seen the Lordship of Christ. We've seen the life of the local church. Also consider the fellowship of local churches because we are a part of a wider family. And here's, here's the thing that we have to bear in mind in that. Our church has no actual authority to go to the church at Angel and say, this is how you need to do things. The church at Angel is led by my twin brother, and I can't say that to him. It's not based on family or links or we planted that church. No, they constituted. They're their own church with their own leadership on their own path, doing their, their own things, and that's okay. Yesterday we had the great joy, some of us, of observing um, the constitution of Wimbledon Baptist Church as 13 people covenanted together as members. We don't... Have, have, we, have we given them financial support? Yes, but we're not the mob. We've not bought power over them. We, we, we can't say, oh, we... We gave you that money, and um, this is how it's going to be. This is what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. It didn't come with strings attached. It, it, it was given joyfully and cheerfully. Why? Because we, we have mutual love. We have care. We have encouragement. We believe that that work is faithful to the gospel. We put it to the church. We didn't say, here's what we're going to do. We put it to the church and... I, I started low, actually, with the amount that we were going to support them with. And then people are always saying, well, we can do better than that. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to them, but it's also, I will say, an encouragement to me pastorally when people respond to such opportunities with generosity. That's fellowship. And um, over the years, you know, there, there may be within associational life or within partnership life, various um, things that we were talking about this morning where we might be minded to, to grumble 
There may be situations where it's not grumbling. It's actually taking a stand for the, the truth of the Word of God. There have been seasons that I've shared with you as a, as a church where we have had to take a step back and we've had to examine certain relationships until certain things are ordered. There was a season where a church um, uh, in our association was openly celebrating and encouraging a sinful um, lifestyle. They were promoting content that was in direct violation of the Word of God. The pastor was approached. He didn't receive it well. He was approached again. He didn't receive it well. Those who tried to correct were called Pharisees. And those who have sought to, um, uh, to be friends you know, have, have struggled to maintain that. What was the end result? Processes between the churches were initiated, whereby ultimately that church left, resigned its, its membership. So it was a situation of either those, the church, some churches are going to, to hold the line on this issue, or they're not. And if, if the majority body of churches associating together took a, a, a particular stance of passivity in addressing a fairly substantial disciplinary thing involving a local church, then we had the right to either work actively for the reformation of that, that associational body or to withdraw. And we were having those thoughts and those conversations. And in the mercy of God, there's been a complete turnaround of even um, um, uh, personnel um, at multiple levels of, of that that body. And there's still work to be done. There's always work to be done. But we look to God in faith. Similarly, we, we might um, uh, look at things more widely where uh, false teaching may occur. There was a, a missions organization that we had supported a missionary through. And a situation arose where uh, one of the supported missionaries was uh, openly and actively promoting something that is completely out of step with our doctrinal basis. In fact, the doctrinal basis that they had signed. Stop going to their annual meetings. Stop promoting their annual meetings. Um, um, uh, behind the scenes, encouraging committee members to resolve the situation. Attended the meetings personally, but didn't encourage others to, until it was resolved. And it was resolved. But it wouldn't have been resolved if there hadn't been a genuine and sincere mutual love, care, and encouragement that cared enough to speak the truth in love. Of course, there are always, there's always going to be some little thing that doesn't measure up to our preferences or our personal perspectives. And one of the dangers of, of all of this is that People can quickly become heresy hunters or um, discernment um, gurus, and, and, and they're always on a hunt for who's doing something wrong. And they're, they're, they're writing stuff up, and they're publishing and posting stuff, and they're ranting. And it just gets very nasty and unpleasant, and it doesn't honor Christ. And then when, when you, you, you take a step back and you look at it, and you're saying, what biblical principle is this over again? Sometimes it's over politics, not even biblical principle. That is a danger. 
We need to, we need to own those moments where we have been um, unkind, ungracious, and um, uh, intolerant of things that are matters of personal preference. But we should not use that as a smokescreen um, uh, behind which to avoid accountability. Oh, they're being unfair. Oh, they're, you know, they're, they're hunting things that aren't there. It's manufactured crisis. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we do have to speak the truth in love and it's not received well. And it seems to create disunity. And that is deeply painful. I think it, what makes it so painful is that it is born out of mutual love. It's born out of care. And that's not how we want things to be. True fellowship between churches exists, though, only where they are faithful to the gospel. Are we faithful to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? If we are not, then we're no longer building ourselves up in love. If we are not, can we even say we are a body of members that is under the headship of Jesus? There are churches that are saying you don't have to submit to the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God is, is not actually the Word of God. It's a book. It's a human book. It's errant. It's fallible. It's flawed. And it has no bearing on us. There are some who do believe that and do teach that. We cannot stand with them. There are others who postulate other ways of salvation. There are some who postulate other pathways to God. There are some who um, uh, allow for the, um, uh, the worship of other gods in the pursuit ultimately of one happy place that we all get to in eternity. There are some who do so in the name of Christ, bearing the name of Christians. There are any number of deviant and rebellious lifestyles and worldviews and um, disorders that are promoted and celebrated in local churches. I mean, I believe it though. If King Charles is the head of the church, you can do anything. Because he's done a lot. But if Jesus is the head of the church, then you get back to who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what Jesus was like and you can't weaponize Jesus um, uh, in favor of worldly agendas that are advancing bad news for everybody. I hope that um, as we've, we've walked through this passage together, um, we see these things. The Lordship of Jesus is above everything. The life of the local church does have order. It does have structure. There, there are people that in the will of God, according to His gracious gifting, He has put in our, um, uh, our life to shepherds, to teach, to equip, and to serve. And that as we are equipped, we grow, we serve one another, we speak to one another, we do so, again, under the Lordship of Jesus. And that what happens in our local church life is replicated at an interchurch level as we relate congregationally between other churches within certain boundaries and parameters. There's order. There is there, is a structure. There is a body. The church, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the church is not a blob. It is a body. 
God has given order. God has given structure. And all of it is under one head, Jesus Christ. And we submit to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we have been taught this evening from your word um, about church structure, I pray that we would practice it faithfully and fruitfully and efficiently. Please, Lord, help me to be a pastor, not forever, um, only uh, one pastor. We pray that you would um, uh, help us to have more pastors. We pray that you would help us to have evangelists. Even, yes, ones that are officially recognized and set apart as evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of that ministry, not to just do it all themselves. We pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to continue to add to our diaconal team. Thank you for them. Thank you for their faithful service in so many ways. Their hard work that they put in um, uh, that... um, We might not always notice, though perhaps we should, because if they were not doing it, we would notice very quickly. Lord, may they know that they are loved and appreciated, and as your word says, that um, there there is great honor for uh, deacons who serve well. Lord, we pray uh, thanking you for uh, what you have given to us and coming to you with outstretched hands, asking us, yes, unashamedly for more, because we know you have more to give. We pray that you would increase um, not only our our leadership, but our membership. Yes, Lord, not just um, in uh, number, but we pray in maturity, in devotion to you, in service to you. Lord, it is our our hearts that we would respond to the preaching of your word um, uh, as, as those who are completely submitted to Jesus, may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul um, uh, that, that Christ is our life. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. May, may this, this church, these brothers and sisters, be enrobed in glory. Yes, then, but we pray that now there would be foreshadowings of glory in our lives that people would come into this place and have a taste of glory, your glory, and be amazed at who you are and what you are like. Lord, you can do this. As we seek your will, as we meet together, as we counsel each other, help us, give us wisdom. There are so many things that we, we need. You can provide them all. We trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.